This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the White Tail Lakes Podcast. We're all set up here down this creek bottom. Bean Buck's been in here a bunch of times, so good chance to see him on him. Meh. Smoking. I think he just crashed, bro. <laughs> Absolute money, dude. It's 76 degrees out. We just set up 80 yards from a buck and killed him at 18 yards. Here we are. We're set up on a, this scrape that's been absolute fire for the last eight days. We know a shooter went in here to bed this morning. Matt. Get it? That was at eight. That's at eight. Bucked out October 28th. Homies up for the rest of November. But absolute incredible season. Both kills on hanging hunts, right on the beds, and just making it making it happen. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes with some late-season magic in this episode. Finally got a buck down, guys. We're going to chat about that story tonight quick um, and give you an update of what I got coming on the next few weeks. So, um, next few weeks, I chatted with my buddy Andrew Jordan um, about his struggles with EHD this year, um, how he started hunting other properties, kind of what his plans are from the future, and uh, the EHD he's had in the past and what changes he did then to, uh, you know, talking about the landowners all coming together and trying to make a plan to make the EHD not be as tragic as it is um, and try to get back to where they were quicker. Um, That's a real cool podcast. Then I have on Tony from 330 Archery. We talk about all things bows and bone maintenance, um, string maintenance, some things that I didn't even know about or think about. Um, and then we also start off, we talk about crossbow huntings and 
all kinds of different tangents in that episode. Really good. And then I recorded that one of my uh, one of the episodes for the season series. Um, going back to the basics, and um, we started off with gear and gimmicks. I feel like when a lot of people are thinking about getting into hunting, um, that's one of the first things that they think about is what am I going to need to buy. So we, me and Garrett from Last Breath, got together and decided what do we think are the absolute basic necessities for bow hunting, for gun hunting, and then some things that would be really nice to have, and then some gimmicks to stay away from um, for new hunters out there and for old hunters. Maybe you think they work, but maybe it's something that you could think about and maybe save some money to buy something nicer to help your season out um, in the long run. But that's just what I got coming down the pipe. And then I'm going to be coming at you with a bunch of going back to the basic series, um, hitting you with a bunch of those episodes and hopefully cover some good stuff off season, get us all thinking about whitetail, going back to the basics and try to improve our game from the ground up. But again, to the people that make this possible, starting off with Exodus Outdoor Gear. Guys, if you're not signed up for the newsletter, you need to be. Go to their website. The link there is for the newsletter. Sign up for that. They have a ton of news coming out um, this year. Um, if you haven't listened to the Trail Cam Radio episode, um, they hint a lot of it in there. Um, but they got a new cell cam, a new reg SD card cam, and some new arrow options coming out all this year. Um, so they're definitely expanding the 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 elite uh, the the crew of trail cameras that they got, and uh, they're giving you a. Uh, more options in the, the cell cam game and the ST card game. So I'm excited about that. Um, they're all coming with that five-year no BS warranty, so hard to beat. Um, finally got to send an Afflictor broadhead, um, the K2. And uh, let me tell you what, this shot was a little bit farther back than I planned. I'll get into why during the story, um, but was able to recover this deer the same night. Huge shout-out to Garrett from Last Breath. He come down. Helped me recover this buck. Was able to get it out the same night and uh, not have any coyote damage. I was very worried about that. Um, Should have let the deer, would have let the deer set overnight, but um, he, we did the very thing. He was dead in his bed. So um, we waited him out for quite a while and went in there, but was really worried about the coyote damage being a, a huge factor. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, also check out Tony from 330 Archery if you're in the market for some new strings. Um, and, uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it for the ad read. So let's get into the story. So starting off, let's go all the way back to the, you know, the springtime. I'm on my, my permission piece. It's a 38 acre piece, mostly CRP with a small strip of timber. Um, chips and dip, as you guys know, um, is one of my main targets on that piece. Um, I think he's a high 60, 70 class deer. Um, he ended up getting killed by the neighbor um, right there in November. Um, so I knew he was off the the neighbor just south of me. So he was right there in, in the block, country block. Um, the, the neighbor south of me, is he's a really good hunter. He always kills big deer, um, and he hunts a lot. So he's all I know he's always a factor on uh, killing the deer. He's killed a couple studs off that piece um, the last few years. Um, but... So chips and dip was off the table. I was waiting for him to come back. He was hot and heavy on this late season plot last year. Found his sheds on the property, so I knew I had a good, um, a good opportunity on him late season. Um, but 
once he died, there's a three-year-old in there that I passed multiple times. Um, he's a 10. He's probably, I don't know, he's probably in the 120 range. Um, I passed him in October and November. This is a good deer, but not, not what I was looking for at the time. And then um, there's a, a wide six. Who's barely? I mean, it's crazy wide, probably 20-inch, 21-inch wide six-pointer with probably 20-inch main beams on him. Crazy cool-looking deer. Um, and then there's a seven-pointer, and then there's a Buckeye shot. He's a mainframe eight with some base kickers. Um, he's got 11 scoreable points, you know, over an inch. Um, but uh, he's a mainframe eight, and uh, not a lot of history with this deer. Um, after I posted the pictures, um, the neighbor actually said that he missed this deer in November. Um, he thinks it's a mature deer. It's one that he was targeting. Um, he had killed chips and dip and had a second bow, bow tag and was going to go ahead and take the opportunity at this deer and miss this deer. Um, and I was able to, to, to harvest him. So I went in, but getting back to the spring, um, I went in and, uh, this area is, I can't do a lot to the ground. It's in a, it's in a CRP program. Um, but there's certain areas that are set aside that I can plant plots in. And I asked the, the landowner, um, if I could plant a plot in kind of this low bottom area, and uh, he said, yeah, I don't see a problem with that. So I planted a plot. The first year, the plot looked, it was beautiful, man. It was um, it was just the throw-and-grow um, plot from Whitetail Institute, and uh, it got knee-high. I did throw some radishes in there with it. It's that brassica turnip radish mix, um, and it just looks absolutely beautiful. And then this year, I got in there too late, and the weeds had kind of taken it over. And, uh, I was kind of devastated when I pulled up to that plot late in the year. Um, I had focused on the one on the north too much, which didn't even come up. Um, I planted a chicory blend up there and it came up and we just didn't get any rain and it died off real quick. But, uh, I planted that plot and, uh, I didn't get it near as big as I did that first year. So it was probably a quarter acre, maybe, probably not even that big, um, but I got a good stand on it and got, you know, there's a two scrape trees out there. The bucks use them a lot. Does feed out there some. This property don't hold a lot of does. Um, but the way that I hunt it is I keep the pressure off it during shotgun and deer get pushed up in there and then they stay late season when they find that food. So um, I knew this deer had been in there, but like I said, I didn't have a ton of history with them. Wanted to get a good eyeball on them. And, uh, that plot, like I said, didn't turn out the best, um, and that was on me. I got in there too late. I sprayed it, didn't disc it, sprayed it down to nothing, went in there. In the area in front of my stand, probably 100 feet by 75 feet, I raked because um, it was kind of a stemmy vegetation that had grown up. I raked all that, and I got a really good stand of radishes and, and brassicas in there. And then kind of on the backside... I broadcasted out into the grass, kind of overseeding way out there, and then I um, broadcasted there where I killed the grass just in, inside the weeds, and it grew up pretty good, but um, it wasn't near the stand that I had the year before. It might have got shin high this year. Um, there was deer in there using it, but not, not like it was in the past, but uh, I decided I was going to wait for the cold spell. I've had, I've, I don't have a lot of good luck when the first cold, when it hits that first and second day, um, I feel like 
the deer are just that first day that it hits hard the deer are just bedded down and they're not moving so I waited that first and second day I had to work 12 hour shifts at work um, end up being one 16 hour shift and one 12 hour shift um, from noon to midnight so my evenings were pretty well shot um, I didn't want to get in there in the morning because I feel like the way I access it I would bump deer off the main feed field um, but uh, I decided to, to evening hunt only and where I got this stand there's a hedge tree which is a terrible spot to put a stand but there's really no other trees in this CRP area that you can get into and have a good wind for north or northwest because if it's north they literally come out of the timber 20 yards in front of you and you're just edging them but if it's northwest um, you got a pretty good you know pretty good shot at uh, them not winning at all and uh, it was northwest last night so I decided to go in, um, went, took my time getting in. I didn't go in. It was cold, mind you. Um, I, you know, I had Christmas, did that whole thing. Then the day after Christmas, I decided to, to go out and try it. And I had a really good feeling going in. I'm like, okay, this plot hasn't been touched. You know, I'm not coming out here pulling any cams. I know the deer are probably on it. I got out there, ton of tracks on the plot. That gave me a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, confidence in the night. Um, but I knew that there was them bucks in the area and then this random buck that had showed up on cam, you know, a couple weeks ago that I didn't have much history with. Um, so I walked in there and I took my time. Um, I didn't get out there till probably 3.15 in the stand. But like I said, it was really cold. It was windy. Um, I think it was probably 12, 12 to 15 degrees um, with a northwest wind, probably 10 to 15 mile an hour, not a strong wind. We'd had a lot of really strong winds, and that had held the movement down. Um, but I, I went in there, and I accessed my stand. Um, a lot of these deer, they come from the north, the south, and the east, but they never come from the west. or the, They come from the north, the south, and the west. They never come from the east. So I accessed my stand from the, the southeast. I come in off a field, and I get into that CRP grass. The CRP grass is pretty tall. It's probably shoulder high. And I took my four-wheeler and ran a trail straight to this stand, so I knocked the grass down real low, um, went back and forth early in the year and, and made a nice trail to this stand. Um, and uh, I went right down that trail, kind of, you know, kind of hunched over just in case there was something bedded to the north in the grass that could see me. And I got up in that stand and uh, got up in there, hooked my bow rope up, and the steps that I got, I don't know what brand they are, but they have like eyelets, um, like circle eyelets where you can loop a second strap in. And it's happened to me twice where I climb up the stand um, and, you know, you, there's snow on your boots. It's extremely slip slippery. You're trying to be careful and you already got extra clothes on, you know, without the, the, pyre, the pyre suit for Badlands. I could, there's no way I'd be out there, but I know there's a lot of good late season stuff that can let you get out there but without that gear there's no way I would even be there um but climbed up and my damn bow hook went right in that loop of the step um so I put my backpack off took my backpack off home I hung it up I packed in um some socks to go over my boots um shout out to Byron from Whitetail Experience that helps out a ton um I had done that in the past but I hadn't used uh socks I've always put my, like, if I had an extra jacket or something, like a, a beanie or an extra jacket, I've always put that on my stand 
and then put my feet, the jacket over underneath my feet and then over my feet. Um, but the socks work really well. A little more compact than a hoodie or a light jacket down there. Um, but it's just something to break that contact between your toes in the stand and the toes in the air. But I brought my Arctic uh, boot warmers as well, or my boot covers as well. Uh, so I had that all in my backpack as well as my jacket um, from Badlands. Because the pirate jacket from Badlands, if you wear that in, you're going to be sweating like a mug, dude. It is it is thick and big. Um, but that bow, ho that bow rope got hooked right in that loop. So I got up in the stand that had to climb down three steps and unhook it. Um, and then I carried the bow rope up with me this time. Um and kind of kept it away from the steps. Got up in the stand, pulled my bow up, um, you know, got it set in for the night. And where the bow hook is, early season in this tree, there's a ton of cover. Um, but late season, I knew that there was going to be a pretty good chance that these deer are going to be right on top of me and I wouldn't be able to move. So I decided to do the old uh, set the bow right on the lap. You know, so all you have to do is, is – uh, you know, keep one hand in your pocket and keep, you know, your, I don't use a glove. I use a very, very light glove and I cut the fingers out on my release hand. Something I've always did. I do not like shooting with a glove. I keep a hot hand in my jacket. One thing that I will tell you that might be, um, that a lot of people might not know that helps me out tremendously is, uh, when you're out there in that cold weather and, uh, you get your hands in those pockets and they're extremely warm. They will start to sweat. So I use the anti-sweat, no-scent deodorant, and I put that on my hands and my feet when it gets extremely cold, and that will keep your hands from sweating, um, and that will help out way more than you think it will. Um, that's something that I learned from a duck or goose hunter long, long time ago. I was like, because he's no gloves. He's like, I'm like, how do you keep your hands warm? He's like, well, I keep them in my pockets, but then I pull them out, and I got this, the the no anti-sweat deodorant on them, and uh, they don't sweat while they're in my pockets on the hot hand, so when I get them out, they're, they don't get cold instantly because they're damp. Um, so I've been doing that. So that's what I do. I put that on, and then I put my, and that, I, that helps out a ton. You wouldn't even think about it, but that helps out an absolute shitload. But I keep that hand in my pocket, and the other one I just held my bow, and I had the little mitten glove, and I just put a hand warmer right in the end of it, um, so it wouldn't get in the way of holding my bow, but you know how it is late season, you know, 10 degrees or less, you're holding your bow for a long time. That hand gets absolutely frozen. Um, so I get in the stand and I've been there multiple times in the past. Luckily, uh, first thing I do once I get my bow up, um, I decide to leave it on my chest. I got the jacket on. I tried, I decided to take off my bino harness and my rangefinder because, um, it's just with the jacket on, the harness and all that, the late season, um, it's just too constricting. So I just decided to set it, take it off, put it in my backpack and I'm like, well, before I take it off, I'm going to pop some ranges, you know, and, uh, see what I got. Well, my rangefinder battery is, it's flashing every time I click. Um, but I had been there multiple times. I, I knew the range is pretty good. Um, but what I did was I took that rangefinder out off the hook and put it in that pocket with that hand warmer. And after about 15 minutes, I was able to pull it out, and it, it did end up working. Um, I did range a few spots where I think the deer would come in. I ranged one, and it was 45. And I'm thinking, okay, man, if I got to, that's a long shot late season when you got a bunch of layers on. 
I, you know, a lot of people say they shoot their bow all the time, but when late season comes around, I don't shoot my bow as much as I should. You know, it's just, it's inconvenient. It's cold. You're going through gun season. You're worried about that. Then you're back into bow. Then you're back into gun again. Then you're into muzzleloader. So you don't shoot your bow as much as you should. I did take a few shots before I left the house. Felt pretty good about it. But still, it's not in a stand with all your gear on, hooked up, you know, ready to go. So I ended up taking that bino harness off just so it was one less thing that I had to mess with it when the time came. But um, I did range that spot over there. It is 45 yards, and that had come into play later in the story. But uh, I was sitting there, and uh, it was pretty slow. Um, and I was just zoning out something fierce, like real hard. And uh, for some reason, and... Uh, I look, been you know, looking around, trying to be as still as possible. Uh, never stood up or anything; just stayed sitting down. And uh, the seven pointer comes out. Um, and the seven, this other buck had ran with this seven pointer. Um, you know, on trail cam and and in the past, I'd seen the seven pointer. So I was thinking, well, if he's out here, there's a good chance this other buck's going to show up. Well, he came. That buck came directly from the west. And I should have been able to see him for 100 yards, and I finally caught him at about 60. So I was daydreaming, thinking about all kinds of stuff, thinking about fixing my car, thinking about stuff I needed to do at the house, and all kinds of stuff out there. Um, and uh, just, you know, just daydreaming, enjoying the hunt, trying to stay as warm as possible, not move. And uh, this buck pops out. I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's right out there. Um, so he works into the plot. He feeds on the very far end, and I got two scrape trees in this plot, and they're natural scrape trees. They're just trees that I left in there when I when I had the plot made, and, and they're tall. Um, I need to kind of trim out the top of them because they inhibit my shooting a lot. Um, and uh, that's what that deer, he was on the backside of that tree for a long time, and then he worked into 25 yards and was feeding and uh, had those boot covers on. And I kind of picked up my foot and moved it a little bit, and it squeaked. And he looked up in there, and uh, that was a good sign that, hey, I can't make, if there's a buck comes out, I can't make any noise at all. Um, or these deer, they're going to, they're gonna, you know, see me moving, hear me moving up here. Because um, late season with the snow on, it just seems like everything's so quiet. But he's pawing out there, and you can hear him pawing in the snow, and I'm watching him. Um, and he... Something uh, like a stick snaps from the south, um, the southwest, and he watches over that way for a long time, probably 45 seconds, minute, then goes back to feeding, and then picks his head up again, looking over there. So I'm binoing over there, you know, as slowly as I can, as this deer is not looking at me now, he's looking over there, and uh, here comes this buck, and I get a glimpse of him, like, he's in the timber, he's looking really good. He's got a slight left limp, front left leg limp, but nothing that would be detrimental to him for the year. You know, he was still thick-bodied, thick-necked, um, but it wasn't anything that was going to kill him. But he definitely had an injury on his front left leg, but he would have made it through fine. Uh, but he was limping out, and he worked out and uh, worked in, crossed the creek, and I got to watch him a long ways and decide that I was going to shoot him before he even hit the plot. And he came out to the plot, and uh, he came out in one of those spots I ranged right at 45 yards of a standing broadside, and I could shoot there. And I'm thinking, oh, there's there's my opportunity right there, 45 yards. He's broadside. He's feeding. Um, wouldn't be a bad bad shot, but 
most of the deer tracks were in that better part of the plot. Like I said, that was in that 20 yards close to the stand, but 100 yards or 100 foot long. Um, so the most, the heaviest traffic on the plot was 20 to 50, cl- but closer to me. So I'm thinking, man, the odds of him coming in to 20, 30, 40 over here um, is way better uh, than, especially if nothing happens, he's just out on the plot chilling. Um, so he's out there um, that, you know, he's out there feeding that seven pointer Kaiser sees him, goes up there. They tickle the horns for a little bit out there in the plot and gave me a show, which was kind of cool. Nothing aggressive, but just, you know, a little bit of fighting there, a little bit of getting that testosterone out at the end of the year. And um, this is when it gets kind of crazy, kind of Western. The whole time I was hunting this after it happened, I was thinking about my bud, my good buddy Clint McCoy when he's like, you got to get a little crazy out there on these deer to get it done late season. Um, you got to get a little wild and, and go after them. And that's that's kind of what happened here was they were out there feeding and and uh, just doing their thing. And uh, my damn dog in the background making hell noise. Sorry, guys. And uh, all of a sudden they ripped their heads up and they looked to the west, the northwest. And that's the opposite direction that I'm at. And I'm I'm like, well, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to I've been had my bow laid down. I'm like, OK, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to stand it up and hold it now. So it's just resting on my leg, and I'm holding it. And uh, they look over there, and then they go back to feeding. And uh, then they look over there again, and they're real alert this time, both of them. And they take, like, two hops, and I'm like, what the heck's going on, you know? And the the seven-pointer, he's at range. He's at, like, 25 yards broadside. The one I want to shoot, he's at probably 35, but he's behind those two trees that I was talking about. And then there's a third buck. That was just getting ready to come out in the plot, a smaller buck. And uh, all of a sudden, those deer take off running. And I'm I'm full draw at this point, like, oh, what the hell? And I'm going, Matt, 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 just screaming at this buck. Um, it doesn't stop, doesn't do anything. And I'm wondering what the hell is going on. And right as they clear the plot, two coyotes come right out, and they are right after these deer. They are full-blown chasing these deer trying to eat these things and uh there is a ton of coyotes on this property um it's there's a ton of pheasants and quail and stuff and there's just an absolute ton of coyotes in the area but i've never seen a coyote full-blown chase a deer um like they were that night um so the deer runs out of the plot does a big takes off and i'm thinking well my night's it's done it's over you know um and he does a circle back, which I don't know. I just hear something running through the the snow. You know, the snow is crunchy. I just hear something running through the snow, and I look over there, and it's the buck that I was just on the plot. And he's coming back, and he's almost on the exact same spot that he ran through the plot the first time. Um, so he's going to be at 25 yards. I got probably a 30-yard gap where I can shoot this deer. And I'm going, Matt, Matt. Matt, hey, hey, just yelling at this deer. Loudest of every year yelled at a deer. And he finally slows down like the last 10 foot I got. And uh, the last 10 foot he slows down. I put it on the front shoulder and pull the trigger and I hit him back. Um, not not a very good shot, to be honest with you. Um, he was walking, um, but he wasn't 
moving fast, you know, it, it, and I don't know if I swung back a little bit or he's moving faster than I thought, but he caught me off. He caught me, you know, I wasn't prepared because I just was kind of pissed that I got bumped off and now they're running back into my life at full tilt, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, here's my opportunity. I got to get it done. Drew back and uh, made the shot. And like I said, it was back. Um, I did get up in there and get some stuff. Um, thought about the shot. The one thing that really surprised me was after I shot him, he only ran like 40 yards and he stood there. And I got to see where I hit him and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, that's that's back. You know, it's not terrible. He's acting real funny that that's other seven pointer is long gone. Um, crazy thing is when I shot that deer, he went north and that seven pointer kept going back towards the west where they came from. And those coyotes followed that seven pointer and didn't even know that I had hit that other deer. Um, he was like invisible cause he wasn't moving. Um, so he ran 40 yards and then he just stood there. I couldn't get another shot in him. He was probably 65, 70 yards at this point. Could not get another shot at him. And he stood there for probably 25 minutes and did not move. Tail tucked, hunched up. I know it's that, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I got, I'm, I'm back. I know I've been here before. Um, it's not where you want to be as a hunter, but stuff happens. And, uh, uh, could see where I, the arrow went in. I'm thinking, well, you know, if I got, if it's a good angle, I got up there and I got something, you know, got some arteries, got up in there deep enough with the arrow to get some good penetration to get up in the goods the way he was angled away. So, um, I watched him for a long time, like I said, and then he finally, he would take three or four steps and then he'd stand for another five minutes. And, um, then he walk another 10 yards and then stand for five, 10 minutes. Um, and every time he took a step, you could tell that it was, he wasn't feeling good. Um, you know, I, I, he was kind of head wobbling, you know, real lethargic. Um, I think I got, like I said, I got one of those arteries and maybe got up in the liver and up in the good stuff up there, but, um, made the shot and actually watched him, was able to watch him. There's, he walked into the tall CRP, but there's a low wet spot. And he walked right into that wet spot, and I got to watch him all the way till dark. Um, so I had a really good idea of where I thought he was. And Garrett just happened to be in Knoxville calling coyotes, and he had messaged me and said, did you see anything? And I said, well, crazy story. I got a buck. I know he's going to die. It's just whether he dies tonight or he dies tomorrow. Um, it's a It's a lethal shot, but when is it going to die? So... I, uh, he comes out, decides, he's like, well, I'll come help you, you know, recover him. And, uh, it's always to have, it's always better to have two people to track deer, especially at night. Even if you're on ground that, you know, it's very easy to get turned around, especially in, you know, grass above your head. Um, so I knew exactly where he was and, uh, really good idea on the direction of travel. So it was, it was probably, like I said, I probably watched him for an hour after I shot him, and he went up in there and bedded on the edge of that grass. And uh, I couldn't tell if his head was up or head was down when it got dark. I could just watch him all the way to the not, you know, until it got less where you couldn't see in the binos that far. And he probably went 175 yards, 200 yards at this point. And uh, Garrett showed up, you know, about 45, 50 minutes 
after I called him at last light. Um, so it'd probably been two hours after I'd shot this deer. We hung out for a while, probably went in there. It's probably been three and a half hours at this point, um, since I'd shot that deer and we went up in there and we went to the north of that grass first and kind of look for blood because there's a fire break there. Look for blood to say, hey, did he, you know, did he, if he crossed this gap across this fire break, we'll see fresh tracks in the snow and then we'll also see some blood up here and we'll know. Well, there's no blood up there, no tracks. Um, and after looking at the maps, I thought it was a shorter walk, but Garrett was like, man, we got to look at the maps. And he looked and he was like, no, it's definitely shorter from the bottom. And he was right. So we looped around back to the bottom. So at this point, it'd probably been, like I said, three and a half, four hours since I had shot this deer. Um, and the coyotes were already chasing them. The coyotes were in the area. The coyotes are obviously okay with, um, you know, chasing deer. Um, so I was very worried about um, coyote coyotes getting this deer. Um, and like I said, I knew it was a lethal shot, but there's always the thing about, man, I'll just leave it in the morning. But I've had very bad luck in this area. I've never left a deer overnight and recovered it without coyote, like eating almost all of it. That buck I shot called Homeboy just south of there, um, there was literally nothing left of that deer. They ate him all the way up to the neck. There's a carcass and his neck and the rack. That was it. And and I left that deer. I shot him in the morning and went and recovered him that night. So I left him 12 hours, and they had just completely demolished him. But we knew he hadn't went out of that grass, so we figured he was back where he was bedded. And, and uh, we went in there. We started... We got on this track on the south side of that grass. I I, mow, I burned this grass, so there's a fire break mowed all the way around it. So we went to the south uh, fire break where he crossed, got on some blood, followed it up there, um, about to where that I seen him, and we found a pretty good blood spot where he'd stood for a while. Looked like he had not bedded, but maybe fell down and then got back up. Um and at that point, I'm like, okay, good blood. He's fallen down. He's got back up. It's not going to hurt if we push up in the grass a little further. So I decide that I think he's going to be further towards the... I found a lot of beds and sheds further towards the west. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's probably where he is. Um, so we went. We started walking west. We did a circle in that grass. And, man, that grass... With the flashlights, it, you can't see very far in that stuff, and we didn't go. We didn't go hardly f far at all, and we were. I was almost to the point where it was like, man, let's just wait till tomorrow. Um, probably, you know, you're you're in there. You're like, I, th it, I you're always like, oh yeah, we'll be able to find him in that grass, you know. And we found some pretty good blood, um, but after he'd kind of fallen down and got back up, we had a couple good tracks to go lead off of, but I think that was. When he had fallen down and got back up, that was just seconds before he'd actually died. It was that, you know, I'm, I'm he's going down kind of thing. So there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of, like, where you could see he went through the grass or anything. It was just, and the grass is all packed with snow, and there's some parts that are a foot tall because it's drifted up. There's some parts that are two foot dr tall in there. Um, so it's very, very um, hard to, you know, manage your way through there. Um, we did that circle, came back. I'm following the tracker app on Garrett's phone where it's tracking you 
you know, as, as we're going through there. So we know what ground that I covered if I do come back in the morning. And I told him, I said, man, I'll just come back in the morning and I'll, and I'll find this deer. And he's like, let's just go straight north of where we're at. Um, and he went straight north, maybe 10, 15 yards with the phone and the, and the good flashlight that we had. And, uh, we're standing there and I'm right behind him and I look over to the left and he's laying right there, dead, dead in a doornail. Um, so I think he had died probably an hour or so or better before we got there. Um, actually got into that grass, but, uh, we, uh, got there and found him. And, and like I said, he was probably from where that blood fall down spot was, he was probably 10 or 15 yards and we had walked that close to him multiple times, but just never seen him, um, got up to him and I was really happy. It was exactly what deer I would thought it was exact same, the exact size of the deer I thought it was really happy with him. I think he's probably three or four, um, just a random buck that showed up. I am going to, I listened to Garrett's episode with deer age and I'm going to have them got these, them on for you guys on this episode. Um, go listen to them if, if you want to get it early. Um, cause that's some great, great Intel on there. So I'm going to start aging my deer just to see if I can get better at, you know, getting an idea out of them. Cause I've said this on the podcast multiple times. I'm terrible at aging deer. Um, but that other buck was out there with him in the plot, and it, he just dwarfed that buck. So, like I said, he's at least a year or two years older. Um, but he was an eight with some base kickers. Um, great buck. Um, pretty easy drag-out job in the snow. Only had to take one break um, and uh, got him in the truck. Garrett actually got him in the truck. I just got um, my uh, vasectomy done um, a couple weeks ago that kind of ruined a weekend of hunting there for me. Um, and then I don't, if anybody's on the fence about getting that done, I know a lot of guys say it's not a big deal, but it, it, for a week I was hurting pretty bad. Um, I was pretty slow. I was probably out 50%. Um, so Garrett ended up loading that deer up for me. Um, and, uh, he just ripped it right up in the truck. Of course, guys a freaking beast. And, uh, you know, we, we had a moment out there. My season had been an absolute struggle, uh, just a grind of ups and downs and trying to make stuff happen and get just close call after close call. And, you know, to seal the deal on that buck, like I said, it wasn't a perfect situation with the coyotes coming in. I took my opportunity and was able to, to make a lethal shot on the deer. Wish he would have died quicker, um, but it, that happens to all hunting, all hunters. Um, but it's a dead deer, no matter what, I'm incredibly proud of this deer because it was just the year of, it was the year of almost and hitting limbs and full draw on bucks. And a lot of my good deer got killed, um, this year. So I lost a lot of targets. Um, but that, that's everybody out there, but it was just a, it was a it was a grind. People say, "Oh, I'm out here grinding." This year was a grind for me, more than it has been in the past seven years um, of shooting bucks. It's been besides the freeze year. Freeze year was a grind, and then I ended up killing him. But uh, that it's just one of those years where you you know you struggle down to the end. You know, you kill a buck on December 26th. You know, of uh, uh, that's that's the latest I've killed a buck. So, um. Like I said, I'm I'm incredibly jacked. I appreciate all the messages. People knew that I 
worked my ass off this year, but that's one thing about hunting is it's just like life. Hunting isn't fair. Um, you can work your ass off, put more time in the stand than anybody, understand how the deer are using the property, and just get dealt shit hands, you know. I was all over deer, seen more big bucks in a season than I ever have, but never had them, you know, hit the limb on one and passed a couple really good ones and then, you know, just missed opportunities. Maybe I should have took the shot and I was gun shy because I hit the limb looking for a perfect opportunity and then just out of range on a couple and making errors where other bucks, you know, see me and I didn't know they were there while I was trying to call to another buck. Just a lot of a lot of bad um so i'll call this the good luck buck because uh, i finally had a stretch of good luck where the situation wasn't perfect but luck was on my side out there and good lord was on my side to be able to help me you know get a buck down um eight years in a row here um with it killing a buck or two or three so able to keep the streak alive but just barely by just a couple days <laughs> So pretty interesting season, but, um, you know, I still got some time here. I still have some shooter bucks. Um, I'm going to be hunting, definitely going to kill another doe or two off the piece that, uh, they want the does eliminated. Have took a doe off it, but I'd like to take a couple more for the farmer. Um, but there is a couple shooter bucks out there that are still roaming around. So I'll probably make some sets for them and shoot a doe. Um, you know, if the, if it the it presents me the opportunity, but definitely take the buck out um, as well. Target the buck, but you know shoot the doe if they show up. Kind of hunts, but uh, meat in the freezer and another another buck on the wall. Um, gonna European mount them. The boys want him to go in his room, um, so gonna European them. And uh, you know, like I said, I told him I said this is the good luck buck. You know, finally had a streak of good luck good friend come help me out and uh make it make it happen for me and that's kind of sometimes that's what you need you just uh you just don't you're not okay with the cards that are dealt you just keep asking for another hand and that's what I kept doing I just kept going out there and kept swinging and I finally was able to connect it's one of those connects where it just barely goes inside the foul you know the foul post but it still it still made it but uh, like I said, not not my best shot by any means. But with the circumstances of him getting chased by coyotes and me being completely off, completely not even ready for a deer to even be there um, after they had ran off, I'm thinking, shit, I might as well pack it up. The night's over, the plot's blown, um, and uh, but it all worked out in the end, and I was able to drag a buck out, which something that feels really good um after the year that i had but like i said the boys were incredibly excited about it um they were you know daddy finally got a buck and if you're a dad out there you know the feeling where you go hunting you go hunting and you're trying to tell these kids they don't understand you're like it's it's hard i mean it's hard to kill a buck and um they know that i missed that one and my middle kid never lets me well you missed that one then you shot a doe you know, and now you're trying to shoot a buck, and he never lets me forget that I missed that buck. Um, he's just, he's he's real big and saying, now, now this is how it happened, and he'll tell me how it happened, even though he wasn't there and I was there, <laughs> just because I've told him the story. 
Um, but now that I shot a buck, he's he's like, okay, so this is how it happened. The coyotes were after him. Then you shot him, and then you took a while to find him, but then you found him. I'm like, yep, that's exactly how it happened, but way more chaotic. But I'll tell you about that when you get older. Um, but appreciate you guys sticking with me and all the, the message of support throughout the year. Um, you can never earn a buck out there. I don't think you can. Like I said, hunting is a is a sport that you, you know, if, if you want to be really good at basketball, you can put a lot of time in the gym and you can get really good at making three pointers, um, and making it happen. But deer hunting, there's too many, too many other circumstances where you can't, you can't weigh the odds in your favor enough. Sometimes you can get close, but if if they're not going to come into range, they're not going to come into range. So, but that's, that's the story of the good luck buck. Um, I'm not done. I still got cams out waiting for the big giant public land buck to show up on the on the food. The late season's looking kind of drimmy after um, this cold spell here. It's going to be up in the 50s, rain, and then it's not going to get cold for a while. So I don't expect to see him on that ag pretty heavily or even close to daylight. Um, so um, I might take that cam and move it in a little bit further. But definitely not giving up. Going to hunt the last remaining days. I'm going to take the kids out, hopefully kill a doe, that late, late doe season with a muzzleloader, and then um, really step my game up and get prepared for next year like I had the goals for last year. I'm going to put the food plots in. Um, this food plot was successful again, so I'm going to go in there and really make this food plot bigger, better, trim out the top of that tree so I can shoot out there. Um, so, you know, I'll have an opportunity to shoot way sooner than I would have when that deer was on the plot and uh, just make it that much better of a set um, and figure out a different bow rope for that damn tree instead of it getting caught in that loop I need to tie it on the other side of the stand but that's the good luck buck in a nutshell I uh, appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, we did it we got a buck down um, in 2022 let's you know I got a buck down but man I'm ready to put this season in the rear view and, and focus on next year and uh focus on that 2023 is being an incredible year and um i kill another giant you know that i got giants out there to chase i did lose a couple really big deer this year but there's still really big deer i just gotta main thing next year is get access to property um and uh that's gonna help me out a ton so all right guys appreciate you tuning in um always try to do the right thing don't give up out there still days left to hunt Try to leave a legacy, and White to Legacy is out.